Around the Nest is on the air. Hello and welcome in. I'm Jesse Goldberg Strassler with the Lansing Lugnuts, and it's now time to J-Talk our way around the Toronto Blue Jays minor league organization. I'll be joined over the course of this week's show by Daniel Venn with the A-Advanced Needham Blue Jays, as well as by Tyler Zickel with the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats, and Dante DiCario with the single-A Lansing Lugnuts. And we might have some interviews to share with you as well. And right now, just to start off the show, let me bring in Daniel Venn. From the Dunedin Blue Jays, the A-Advanced DJs. Dan, how are you? Jesse, doing very well. You know, this time of day before a game, I'm just frantically trying to get my game notes printed out and get ready to go. How are things going up in Lansing? Things are going well, and we finally have a little taste of the weather that you're getting in Dunedin. Probably not to the extent of the warmth. We're glad that we're finally getting sun blue skies. Let me ask you first about a familiar Davis has been in the organization for a while. His stats right now are jumping out. What have you seen? Yeah, it's been really fun to watch DJ this year. Last year in the second half, he really started to turn it around. He had 282 in the second half last year, and he's really carried that over here starting the season. He's having incredibly competitive at-bats, which is great to see. When he's hitting 359 so far this year, he's already got four doubles, which last year he had nine all of the season. So he's hitting the ball with authority, which is great to see. He's got five multi-hit games. You know, one of the things that I think has been most improved with DJ this year is last year he had 244 against left-handed pitching. He struck out a lot when there's lefties on the mound. This year so far in a small sample size, he's hitting 545 against left-handed pitching. So DJ has been a lot of fun to watch this year. He's great in the field. He's got a ton of speed on the bases. He's, I mean, he was a first-round pick for a reason, and we're, we're starting to see it this season. That, to me, has been the fascinating thing is because it's easy to cross a guy's name off when he repeats a level a couple of times. But you've seen that renewed energy. You've seen, hey, DJ saying, my career is still going on. I'm not that old yet. And he's really invested himself. Yeah, absolutely. I think with a lot of guys who repeat a level, you do start to write them off. But we got to remember that DJ came out of high school. So he was a lot younger than a lot of the college guys you see get drafted. So for him to repeat a level once, repeat Lansing once, you know, it's not that big of a deal because he is still young and the talent obviously is still there. DJ Davis is a familiar name. How about another one? Angel Perdomo came off the DL and he looked great in his first outing. How about that? What did you watch? Yeah, Angel looks great. It's great to have him back. You know, you're talking about one of the nicest kids I've ever met before in this game. Um, he last year had an elbow injury. He avoided Tommy John surgery. They, um, they decided that he was going to rehab instead of having the surgery. He's been out for nine full months. So to get him back, it's huge, great for his career, great for our team. His first outing, he threw five innings, only allowed three hits, no runs. He only walked one, and he struck out seven. I mean, he had, he had his best stuff back in his first start. It's great to see he was throwing 93 to 95 on the mound. He still got that big sweeping slider. You know, really big for us as a team to get on hill back on the mound. It's been an interesting composition of your Dunedin roster this year. You've got the players who've been rehabbing their way back up. We saw Dalton Pompey and Anthony Alford. And most recently now, we've got Richard Urania. There are those players like a DJ, like an Angel Perdomo, who were top prospects in the past. And then you've also received players who are 2017 draftees, like Logan Warmoth and like Riley Adams. Let me ask you about Logan. What are your thoughts so far? You know, Logan and... He's fun to watch every single day. He's great in the clubhouse. I think any time you take a guy like Logan or like Riley Adams and they skip a whole level, they go from short season all the way here to the Florida State League, there's going to be some struggles early where they're, they're still adjusting. But, you know, Logan, 
couple hits last night, turned on a turned on a fastball for a double. The kid can clearly hit. He can clearly field. We see the first-round talent every night. And I think for him, just establishing that consistency, it's his first go in full-season ball. So realizing, you know, figuring out for himself what he needs to do over the course of a full 140-game season is going to be huge for him. But, you know, every night he's fun to watch, and he's going to be a guy who's going to be in the middle of our order all year long. What do you think is something that challenges the players in their very first year in the Florida State League the most? What I've heard from a lot of guys in the Florida State League, especially when they're coming from Vancouver, is that just adjusting to the 140-game season can be – it's a big adjustment, you know, to go from playing a short season to a full season. You've really got to learn how hard you can work your body, when you can work your body, how to recover your body. That's important as well. And here in the Florida State League, you've got the added difficulty of the heat here in Florida. I mean, it is oppressively hot here, especially come July and August, when you've got 100% humidity and a 95-degree day. And that really wears down your body as the season goes on. So that's one thing I've heard from and Bo Bichette talks about that last year, about just even though he's from Florida, adjusting to playing a full season in the Florida Heat was a big adjustment for him as a player. How about Riley Adams, the third rounder? What do you think so far? From what I've heard, you know, he's fun to watch. He hits the ball incredibly hard. He hit a home run line drive off the batter's eye in center earlier this season, which you don't see that very often at this ballpark. The big thing on Riley Adams is that our pitchers have just been raving about him behind the plate. They talk about how strong his arm is. They talk about how well he receives the ball, how well he blocks pitches in the dirt. Our pitchers love throwing to Riley. This is fun for me just to go over all of these names in rapid fire. This is Daniel Venn, who does such great work in terms of media relations, all of your research, everything that you have to juggle with the Dunedin Blue Jays, joined uh, weeks past by Jim Tarabokia. But I remember last year asking you about the cover story that you wrote last season. This year, was there a big project that you were working on leading up to baseball season? Well, the big thing for us here in Dunedin is that Toronto lets us make their spring training program. So that's, you know, a really intensive project that we do all off-season long. Um, for that, one really cool piece I got to do is I got to sit in a room with George Bell, Jesse Barfield, and Lloyd Mosby and just talk about, you know, that outfield they used to have in Toronto. I mean, the three best outfielders we've ever had together in Toronto history. Um, really cool to sit with those guys and just talk about the history of Toronto baseball. For this season with the FSL, I got to sit down with Alberto Mineo, our backup catcher. Alberto trying to become just the second player born and raised in Italy to make it to the major leagues. He's been all over the world trying to make it in baseball. Fascinating young man. He speaks three languages. Our pitchers love throwing to him. Just he's a great kid, and it was a lot of fun to talk to him. It was a lot of fun to hear about baseball in Italy, a country that you don't think about as a baseball country. Daniel Venn with the Dunedin Blue Jays starting us off on Around the Nest this week, Jay talking around the Blue Jays organization. Daniel, let me finish things off with your R. Howard Webster Award winner for community service, Josh DeGraff, back with you. Jim, every single year, and every time I say, Jim, who's somebody flying underneath the radar, he immediately says, let's talk Josh DeGraff. How about his award for community service? Yeah, I mean, Josh first on the mound, he's great. He really, I would say, saved our season last year. We had Zoic and Perdomo on the DL, Barucki up in double-A, and Josh went into our rotation and put up a 3-0-1 year and won seven games in the second half. I mean, he saved us last year. But off the field, I mean, Josh is truly the best. He led our, our whole organization last year in community service hours. He won our community service award, and then in the offseason was given Toronto's entire organizational community service award, which is the R. Howard Webster Award. So far this year, we've done 10 school visits, going reading to kids in local schools. He's gone to eight of those visits. The only day he didn't go is because he was pitching that night. I mean, we can't find a better guy both on and off the field than Josh DeGrasse. I remember talking with him when he was in Lansing about his interest in counseling and his feelings that 
players need to be talked to about all the different things that they face that aren't just about baseball. He's a guy that thinks about things very deeply, and he cares very deeply about people. So I'm really glad to see him richly rewarded. Daniel Venn, you can find him on Twitter at GalapagosDan, the Dunedin Blue Jays, DunedinBlueJays.com. Dan, thank you very much for joining me this week. Thank you, Jesse. Talk to you soon. Hey, you've got it. And from Dan Venn with A Advanced Dunedin, let me work my way down the ladder and let me bring in uh, my guy with the Lansing Lugnuts, Dante DeCaria. Dante, let's talk about this Lugnuts team. Five consecutive victories, a four-game sweep of the Dayton Dragons. Tell me about the magic in Lansing. Well, I just think that this Lansing Lugnuts lineup continues to grind out at bats and work the count against uh, pitchers coming out of the bullpen that throw very hard and guys that have nasty stuff and nasty control as starters. It's just overall a, a miraculous group. And one thing that I'd like to mention just off the bat is just how you walk into the clubhouse prior and after the game and everybody's having fun. They're joking around. They've got different types of masks on. They're uh, making jokes all the time. They're playing ping pong. They're hugging each other. They're kissing each other. Just an overall great group. And that's where the magic starts. I mean, this it, it's really tough to to pinpoint why everything's going right, but when you have a good clubhouse and you have a group that loves each other, that's what happens. Let's focus on last night's victory. The Lansing Lugnuts coming back from being down 7-4, to four, winning the ball game 8-7. to seven. What stories do you have from last night? Well, the biggest story coming into that game is Noberto obeyed spring training and was put onto the roster in place of Reggie Pruitt, stepped up in the ninth inning, but before that, Matt Morgan was asked to bunt by Cesar Martin, the manager of the Lansing Lugnuts, and could not do it. Two strikes came on him, and he decided to still bunt the baseball with the bunt taken off, which was just unbelievable. He bunted it to the third base side, and runners moved from first to second and from second to third. And that gave Obeso an opportunity to drive in the runs, which he did with a walk-off single to deep left field that was uh, kind of a weird play between the center fielder and left fielder. They ended up uh, letting it drop right in front of them uh, for the play, but it would have been a sack play anyways. But before the at-bat, Kevin Vicuña raced out of the dugout and said, use my bat, you will hit a walk-off. Amazing. Well, that, can, uh, that finalized the Lansing Lugnuts' most recent victory. I have a question to Around the Nest via Bluebird Banter, our SB Nation partner, the minor leaguers that and then Blue Days fans get to write in any questions that they have for us. And a question for you, Dante. Cullen Large obviously had a great game last night, but has been hitting a little more lately. What's the report on Cullen Large? Really tough to pinpoint exactly what's been going right for him, but he's just a a team player. I talked to him yesterday after the game, and he told me that uh, he's seen the baseball better. He's been uh, a lot more comfortable um, at the dish. And the one thing, if you look at his splits, um, he's hitting better left-handed, which is his natural swing. He's got more power from the left side. He's hitting tons of doubles. And I just think that um, the Jays have themselves a, a really nice pickup in the switch hitter because um, not only is he hitting for power from the left side, he's got good contact from the right side. He's walking a lot more. Um, he's getting extra base hits. He's been a, a very underrated player. And the one thing that I like the most about it is the fact that he can play every infield position on the diamond, one, and two, it doesn't matter where you put him in the order. He's going to produce. We've seen him play anywhere from fifth, sixth, all the way to number two spot. 
It's run by Dante DeCaria discussing the Lansing Lugnuts. Just looking over the Lugnuts and where they rank in the Midwest League leaders, the offense as a whole has been tremendous and is leading the Midwest League in OPS, on-base percentage, slugging, batting average, base hits, total bases, walks. You can keep on going on and on. To look specifically, though, how about Kevin Smith this past week? Kevin Smith was unbelievable. He was driving the baseball. He was pulling the baseball. He was going the other way. He was staying through the middle of the diamond, just doing everything right. There was times when I was watching the game, broadcasting the game with you in the broadcast booth, that whenever it was a hitter's count and the pitcher had to throw a fastball, Kevin Smith was right on it, getting the barrel to the baseball and just driving it through the middle into the gaps. It was unbelievable. Jensi Diaz, meanwhile, on the pitching side, he's leading the Midwest League in virtually everything that you can look at. Whip, average against, innings pitched, he's right up there at the top. ERA has been sensational. How have you seen Jensi progressing from start to start? The one thing that I've noticed with him is that he's using his changeup and his breaking ball a little bit more. And guess what? He's going to have to use that more and more if he wants to get promoted to advanced day halfway through this season, which he's on pace to do right now if he keeps an ERA under .5, which is unbelievable. But Jensi's just doing a great job. I talked to Tony Castro, the pitching coach of the Lansing Lugnuts, and he told me it's all about fastball location. If you can locate your fastball, I don't care if you throw 97 or if you throw 89, you are going to get out. You're going to be productive. And the one thing with Jensi, he doesn't throw a, fast, uh, a flat fastball. He's got a little bit of sink, a little cut at the, at the last second, which is very important to get those fly ball and ground ball outs, because lately, maybe not a lot of strikeouts. The Lansing Lugnuts play five games in three days. Doubleheader today, Friday, doubleheader on Sunday. And then just one game in between all of these games against the West Michigan Whitecaps. They come in with a record of 13-6. and six. And Dante DeCaria joining me on the call of those games. You can find him on Twitter at Diamond underscore Dante. The Lansing Lugnuts are LansingLugnuts.com. Dante, thank you very much for your time. Jesse, wonderful to talk to you. Thanks so much. You've got it. Let's go up to double-A now. Let me bring in the Zick himself, Tyler Zickel, with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, double-A affiliate for the Toronto Blue Jays. For New Hampshire right now, their record is 12-6. and six. They're 9-4 and four on the road. Vladdy Jr., Kevin Biggio have been performing great. Tyler, where do you want to even start? Jesse, first and foremost, glad to be with you for my first around the nest of the year. Sorry for missing our first one on what was our opening day here in New Hampshire, but you know what? Uh, In a tizzy for a great reason, and that is because of those two guys you mentioned, and really the entire roster, 1 through 25, has been performing in their respective positions and roles and all that good stuff. And let's start off with the guy who's on the name, or on the lips for that matter, just about every baseball fan everywhere, America, Canada, anywhere else, and that's Vlad Guerrero Jr. He's already established a new franchise record for the Fisher Cats with incredible run production totals. He, in fact, with his RBIs, he is now at the top of that list in April all by himself. He's driven in 22 of his teammates along the way. Kevin Biggio, for that matter, is ranked second in the league in RBI, and he's got 14. So that gives you kind of an idea of the prolific production for the uh, young prodigy, if you will, the, pro- the uh, progeny prodigy, if you will, for a little wordplay on Around the Nest. But Vlad's been <laughs> awesome. He has been doing it in ways that you may not expect either. A lot of singles, a lot of RBI ground outs, and, of course, that has to do in part with Bo Bichette and Jonathan Davis batting in front of him. So there are runners on base when Vlad comes up. He's come up in big spots and come through clutch. He comes up when the team is down and sparks rallies. So as you know from your experience with him, as short as it might have been, Vlad has been superb. And I think Kevin, Kevin Biggio has been 
arguably the biggest surprise only because when you talk about Vlad, you talk about Bo, those guys get a lot of the headlines and a lot of the attention, deservedly so. But this year, I mean, it's been quite the double-A coming out party for Cavan as he leads the league in slugging percentage. He is among league leaders in on-base percentage, so of course his OPS is going to be at the top of those rankings as well. He has more extra base hits than anybody else in the Eastern League, and he's had some surprising pop. He's got four home runs to lead the club, and he has been fun to watch as well. And before I uh, let you go on to the next question, I talked to hitting coach Hunter Mentz a little while ago about Cavan's swing, specifically how he's able to generate so much pop with a relatively slight frame, at least when he's standing next to Vlad Jr. And he said, uh, Cavan has arguably the most efficient swing on our roster. And that goes for Bobochet as well, but Cavan specifically, he uses his whole body simultaneously to develop a lot of bat speed, and you see it happening for him both with big flies, those home runs, but also driving balls into the gap and being among league leaders in extra base hits. How are the guys dealing with this increased spotlight now that they're up in double A? There are a lot of people taking note of them. I have to give all three of those guys credit. That's Vlad, Bo, and Kevin, and then, of course, the teammates as well, having to deal with the ancillary effects of more media attention around some of their teammates. But the guys really have handled themselves with maturity that belies their young years when you're talking about Vlad and Bo at 19 and 20 years old. So I know that go and ask them for the upteenth media request on the fifth day in a row isn't necessarily something, something they look forward to, but they've put on a brave face each time. They've done it with absolutely no gripe, no concern, no complaint, and they understand that not only being sons of the big leaguers that they're the sons of, but also being as talented as they are, that's a double dose of extra attention from the media, and they've already been profiled in the New York Times. That was a Sunday, uh, this last Sunday edition, they came uh, with a big spread of those three, Kevin, Bo, and Vlad, as well as uh, some love for some other Fisher Cats as well in the article. But again, those are the big three that are making a lot of headlines, and they're handling it like big leaguers, in my opinion. Tyler, you go out on the road with the team. Has there been a traveling Fisher Cats show with Bo, with Vladdy, with Kevin, and onward with that entire roster? Can you tell that there's excitement when you come to town? Yeah, you know, you, you know if something is cooking when the other team is promoting the fact that your specific players are going to be in town. So we've already seen Vlad and Bo and Kevin appear on marketing materials for other teams around the league. So that's a good sign to start. But then getting to the stadium, as we all know in this business, there are plenty of autograph seekers at any stadium. But whenever Vlad and Bo and Kevin and others are in town, you can see the increased amount of those looking for uh, that John Hancock on a ball or a photo or a T-shirt or if you're a kid, your neck, you know, kids love giving their, getting their skin signed by the players on the field. So it's been quite the uh, extra bit of attention. But again, just to go back to our, our, our last point, those three guys have handled it so well. They are true pros in that regard. What do you think of Bo? You talked about Vladdy. You talked about Kevin. What stands out to you about Bo's start to the season? I think Bo just shows up to the field every day, and he's very consistent. I know he's probably not as excited about the fact that his uh, – batting average has dropped below 300 and he's had a little bit of struggling with some Eastern league pitching. But to be honest, you know, when you look at the complete body of work, it's not, nothing to call be cause for alarm. And, you know, it's his first season in double a. So there's a little bit of adjustment involved as well. So when you're talking about Bo Bichette from say last year, yes, the numbers are down a little bit, but you have to look at the bigger picture and he is making the plays at shortstop. He's still staying aggressive at the plate. His two strike approach hasn't changed where he changes his stance and he changes that front leg being picked up with less than two strikes compared to keeping that front leg quiet with two strikes against him. So he is continuing to make progress and continuing to put in the work. You see him in the cage early. He's at his locker early as well, making sure he's ready to rock and roll. And he's, again, one of those guys who 
knows how to handle his business and carries himself with a maturity that certainly belies his 20 years. And I will say, you may know this anecdote already, Jesse, but I will say this quick anecdote shared with me by manager John Schneider. Last year when he was in Dunedin, he asked Bo about maybe taking a little less of a hardy hack with less than two strikes against him and trying to be more controlled in the batter's box. But Bo immediately responded with, you know, remember Tiger Woods in his prime skip? And John said, yeah, and he wasn't quite sure where he was going with the anecdote. And then he said, well, when Tiger Woods was in his prime, on the fair or on the tee box, he would grip it and rip it. He would try and hit it as far as he can, and he knew that if that big swing got him into the rough, well, his short game would be able to get him out of the rough, onto the green, and eventually into the hole, either at par or underneath. So in Bo's perspective, earlier in the count, he's on the tee box. He's trying to take that big drive. But when, with two strikes against him, that's his short game if he tries to expand the zone and put the ball in play. I've never heard of a batter describing a long game and a short game as his batting approach. I love that. Okay, let's stick. A, uh, let's stay away from Bo, Vladdy, Kevin, just for the moment, because I think it would be very easy for their teammates to go overlooked. And your team as a whole is twelve and six. The entire team should be looked at and applauded for how they're going this year. And you've been so good on the road. So who else? flying currently under the radar and with those large shadows being cast, do you say this guy deserves some credit right now? I think there's a guy, Pat Cantwell, who is uh, a platoon catcher with Max Pentecost. You know, Pat is batting 344 in nine games, and that is a quiet 344 because he's not doing it uh, up higher in the lineup. He's typically batting anywhere between 6th, 7th, and 8th. Uh, he had his first home run of the season two nights ago in Binghamton, a no-doubter that sparked a game-tying rally in the ninth. And more so than with his bat, Pat really handles the pitching staff well. Uh, I've heard from multiple pitchers how much they love having Pat back there, knowing that they can throw those pitches that might break into the dirt, but they have no problem with Pat back there using his chest protector to keep those balls in front and keep the base runners quiet on the base pass. In fact, the staff enjoys him so much that his uh, catching ERA going into the most recent game in Binghamton two nights ago was just north of two. And uh, Max Pentecost, for his part, it was about 4.38 or so. And that's not to knock Max Pentecost's ability behind the dish, but just goes to show how a great pitch receiver and game caller can impact not just the score on the field, but also the mentality of the pitchers. So he's a guy that immediately jumps out as somebody that deserves the tip of the cap for his efforts and uh, for his willingness to basically be, be anything for this team, whether he's a designated hitter, he's the catcher, or on games that he's not playing in. He is certainly a locker room guy that's able to be the straw that stirs the drink, if you will. And then on the pitching side, Connor Fisk has had a really good start to his double-A career. Five outings for Connor Fisk, 12 innings, no earned runs to speak of, and he's uh, converted two of two in his save opportunities as well. So he's been a nice surprise and certainly a guy who didn't get a lot of attention coming in. Of course, how could you when you've got names on the roster as we do? But Connor Fisk for the pitching staff, part of a bullpen that's been very stout all season long, deserves a hearty cheers as well. The Fisher Cats are back home at Northeast Delta Dental Stadium this after going out on that nice road trip at Reading and at Binghamton, but they're back. Go to nhfishercats.com and follow Tyler Zickel on Twitter at Tyler underscore Zickel. The Zick, thank you very much for your time today. Jesse, thanks for having me. Cheers to you. Cheers to the Lugnuts as well, and we'll talk to you next time around the nest. Well, AAA Buffalo, we don't have an appearance from Pat Malacaro. That's understandable. The man is off at a wedding. But we do have his conversation with Ben Charrington, and here's an excerpt. Well, Ben, I wish we'd have brought some nicer weather here for you in Durham, but uh, happy to have you along with the team, and uh, you see some good baseball on the way. Yeah, you know, thank, thanks for having me, Pat. It was um, 
wanted to make sure I got some time with Buffalo during April, and this just happened to be the only window uh, I could do it. So uh, I'll be sure to get to Buffalo in May, but uh, for now, here we are in Durham, and it is, uh, it's it's spitting out, but uh, hopefully we get the game in tonight. And to talk about this Bison lineup, uh, there's been a little bit of a change over the first couple of weeks, but I'm really impressed with the, especially the outfield that this Bison team has right now. It feels like a big league outfield between the three guys that are normally uh, in the lineup. Yeah, I think when we looked at what the team might look like, you know, going back in January and February looking forward to the season, we, we thought the outfield depth would be an area of strength. Um, and at one point, obviously, you know, Tay Oscar was going to be on the team too. So we started to factor all those guys in. We thought we'd be using the DH regularly for, for an extra outfielder. Um, that's pretty much how it's gone and um, had obviously Tasker got called up and Anthony missed a little time to start the season but now that he's back um, you know that that strength uh, appears to be appears to be here and it's it's exciting to see you know Teoscar go up and do what he's doing in the big leagues and the guys that we have here playing in the outfield uh, performing well um, it's a nice mix of players because they're not they're multi-dimensional players you know most of the guys, there's Anthony or now Dalton's back playing, Dwight Smith, Roman Fields, et cetera. These are guys that um, can contribute offensively, run the bases, and play defense. Um, so they're not one-dimensional players, and all those guys have a chance to help us in the big leagues at some point. And how is it when you see these guys in action, you're constructing the lineup, helping you know pick maybe veteran players that might be able to add to the mix as well, to see them now in action and have some early success and build off of that? It's important. I mean, the, you know, one of the challenges obviously we faced, um, which is, you know, maybe a particular challenge for a young lineup is that when we, you know, we, we come out of spring training and then there's, there's going to be a little break between the last spring training game and, the, and opening day, as there always is. So you, you get a little time there and you know you're going to have to kind of get your timing back once the season starts. But then obviously we, once the season started, the, another break came and, you know, missing mostly six, seven days in a row. And, um, that's hard to come back and then face live pitching. Um, and then even since we've been playing again, uh, we haven't really been on the field a lot. We've um, been able to get on the field. Uh, I think in Norfolk they lost at least one day on the field, if, I, if I'm correct. So, um, so you know, they're facing the challenge of being a young, a young lineup uh, in, a, in a difficult early part of a schedule with a lot of missed time and not being able to be on the field a lot. All, that said, all those are excuses, and that's, that's part of the adversity that comes with baseball. And so uh, the challenge for them is to figure that out, figure out how to overcome it, figure out how to practice uh, effectively with a purpose despite those challenges so that they can be ready to face you know, really good pitching uh, here in the International League. Is that something you look for when you're on these trips maybe uh, to see how a guy will perform here? Because you're going to face a lot of adversity. Bobby Meacham talks about baseball is always about adjustments and it's how you adjust to those things that will make you successful. There's no doubt. I mean, I, I think we we talk about getting better every day. Um, we talk about that, you know, from Toronto to the Dominican Academy and in every area of our player development and high-performance operation. Uh, we remind, hold our, hold each other accountable to that. Not just the players, but our, as a staff and as coaches and everybody. So you know, baked into getting better every day is being able to overcome adversity and be resilient and tough enough to, um, you know, fight those challenges and and still um, find a way to improve, get better, be purposeful, be ready to compete tonight. 
uh, against a tough pitcher, and, and that's what the guys will be doing today. What are some other things you may be looking for on these trips? Not necessarily here in Buffalo, but when you travel out through the different uh, teams on the organization that, that you might look for. So, you know, there's a number of, of things that we um, that we hold that hold each our each other in player development high performance connected to each other. There's a set of values that we've uh, that we share. There's a commitment to um, to development, to getting better every day. That's something that we've worked together to create uh, that commitment statement. And then underneath that, there's a number of initiatives that we've worked to put together that we think will help our players do that, um, help support our players to, to do that and create the best environment. So, so really it's looking for those things. It's, it's seeing how you know, every player in our organization has an individual development plan. That's something that the player has been involved in himself since January uh, and now is being put into action. And so it's checking in to see how that's going, how the players are doing it, how the staff, how, how we can be helpful, maybe how I could be helpful in some way. Um, it's checking on how our, our, we're spending a lot of time talking about teammate and what is a Blue Jays teammate, how do, you, how do we help players develop those skills to someday be a championship Blue Jays teammate. So checking in on that and, and asking you know, how those conversations are going. And, but more, more than anything, it's just really being a support to the people that are here in the trenches every day because um, you know, it's, in this case, it's Meech, it's Steamer and Corey and Devo and um, Tarp and Brian Pike and those are the guys that are here every day working on those things with our players. Um, it's easier for me to sit in an office someday and kind of look from a distance at how the game went last night and pick up. I might pick up a phone and make a phone call and ask a question. Um, these guys are here every day working with the players, going through that grind you talked about, trying to figure out how to overcome seven days off and you know make tomorrow productive despite that, all those things. So it's really mostly about just supporting the group that's here, um, finding, a, finding a way to be helpful to them. It might be small, it might be less, you know, sometimes it's bigger. But uh, that's really what I try to do when I come into town. Just a few more moments with Ben Sherrington here, the Vice President of Baseball Operations for the Toronto Blue Jays. I wanted to ask you about, before you joined the Blue Jay organization, you spent a little time at Columbia University in a teaching curriculum. How did that maybe prepare you for the job here in Toronto or uh, help you in an area you may maybe not have thought you were as strong in? Well, I think what it, what it did, um, really, it provided a a sort of vehicle for me to do a self-examination you know I'd been in I'd been in one play I'd been with the Red Sox for 17 years and um, there were some great times there were some not so great times but I was really close to what was happening for a long period of time and when you're that close um, and you're in the fire every day sometimes it's hard to do that sort of critical self-examination really reflect on what's going on um, that's something we are trying to do here, by the way, even while we're on the, in the fire, because we, we need to do that. But um, so anyway, I felt like when I left Boston, it was important for me to do that. The teaching thing uh, was part because I, I, I like the idea of teaching. I like helping people. thought that might be an opportunity to share some experience with, in this case, students and, and help in some way, maybe help, uh, help, help them think about what they were trying to accomplish in their path. Um, but it was also for me, selfishly, it was a, it was a vehicle for me to kind of like look at how I was doing things. And, you know, when you stand up in front of a group of students who are paying to be there 
um, and you're and you're leading a discussion, you know, makes you kind of look at yourself and and test your assumptions about uh, what your beliefs are and like, am I really? Did I really do this or am I really going to do this? So it was good in that respect. I, I learned um, certainly learned some things about. In that period, I learned some things about the time, my time in Boston. Um, it allowed me to reflect on that, but also pushed me to improve in other ways. You know, just you know how to ask good questions, how to um, how to create a safe environment inside a classroom, which is the same thing we're doing, trying to do here with players and coaches and staff. How do you do that um, so that people are are willing, are comfortable being honest, expressing themselves, with, you know, without fear of you know, something punitive happening, all those things. So it, so it was a good skill building from that standpoint. But the, but the, the most rewarding part of it was just to see students hopefully getting something out of it, um, and maybe just gaining a little bit of clarity about maybe what their their first steps uh, towards whatever career they were going to choose might look like. That's some really, really good stuff. I appreciate we have more. Wish we had more time, but uh, thanks for joining me for a couple minutes here today and looking forward to checking with you down the road. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, anytime. This has been Around the Nest for another week. I'm Jesse Goldberg Strassler. Big thanks first to Pat Malacaro, even though he has to go to a wedding, quickly sent that interview my way, said, here, this will give folks a taste of what's going on in AAA Buffalo. Uh, big thanks as well to Tyler Zickel joining in from AA New Hampshire and letting us know what's going on with the Fisher Cats, who are crushing it in the AA Eastern League. Thanks to Dan Venn stepping in for Jim Tarabocchio with the Hidden Blue Jays. And thanks as well to my colleague here in Lansing, Dante DiCaria, for letting us know what's going on with the single-A Lansing Lugnuts and their five consecutive victories. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. This has been another week of Around the Nest, Jay talking around the Blue Jays organization. Go to uh, bluebirdbanter.com once again. Check in with our SB Nation partner, the minor leaguer, compiling the Blue Jays minor league tracker, letting you know where all the teams are in the organization for whatever day you choose. And that way you can schedule your road trips. Check in. The minor leaguer is doing great work. For now, though, for this weekend, we'll take a break. We'll be back in seven days. Enjoy the baseball.